What's going on, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast. This is the second episode that I've recorded here in the Florida summer. Uh, the Florida heat can't decide if it wants to be a scorching Mustafar or a really rainy Camino. We're all over the place down here. Uh, the studio, my apartment, is uh, at a crisp 68 degrees right now, um, and I'm happy to be here. It, it feels good. You guys don't realize this because of the way podcasts are released and edited, but I actually haven't recorded one of these in a while, um, so this is sort of like my big behind-the-scenes sort of return to sort of getting back into the groove and talking to people, and this one's been scheduled for a while. Somebody I've uh, known since... It feels like a long time, but really not that long because we met circa WandaVision. We'll talk about that. Um, but this is uh, the associate editor of the Mary Sue, one of the two hosts of Padro Pascal, where they dive into the filmography work and legacy of Senor Pedro Pascal uh, and uh, a great friend, uh, an, an essayist, writer, um, theater expert. It's uh, Rachel Leishman. Hello. What's up, bud? Nothing much. Just trying to not die in the city of New York, which I guess is Chris, uh, what? Chris Kent? Chris Kent, right? That's oh, what New York uh, would be? Yeah, I feel like certain parts of New York... Oh, by the way, I love that you said it the same way that Jake Lloyd says it in the <laughs> in the Phantom Menace uh, beginning behind the scenes. Chris Kent? Chris Kent? Uh, well, yeah, because I think my brain, I always think Corellia, and I'm like, no, it's not Corellia. It's yeah. <laughs> Like, That's I what I was like, gonna I say is that I feel like some parts of New York are Corellia. Yeah. Some parts are Coruscant, and then some parts are like Chandrilla, like really nice, or like, uh, uh, you know, you get some some areas that are are a little bit more polished up and everything. But yeah, being from the Northeast, the two of us, I mean, there's that. It's this, this, this shocking disparity where like you can look at one corner and be like, wow, that's so beautiful, and then you look at another corner and you're like, wow, that's where Batman's parents died. Yeah. Like, that's that's the darkest, most grim place I've ever seen. Like I went to Coney Island and I was like, this is so fun. It's a beach. There's a Ferris wheel. There are rides. And then like I'm on the train and you can see outside that like someone threw like a McDonald's bag on the oh, subway yeah. tracks. And I'm like, we have layers in New York City. Never change. Never change. And that's something that I was going to say in the intro that I forgot to say. Is you're one of my favorite New Yorkers because increasingly fascinating uh as a human being the more the more new yorkers you get to know it's like you learn multitudes about about the city itself about about the way of life there's no consistency in and there's consistency in that lack of consistency yeah we we have a consistency in like very specific things and then there's absolutely no consistency outside of that so like we are consistent and if you are walking slow in front of us and we have somewhere to go you're gonna hear someone say something in the background or if i'm on the train and you're and i'm trying to get off and you're trying to get on while i'm still on the train i will yell at you and that is like a whole yeah. like people will do that but other than that there's no consistency we're just like a free-for-all of people of all differing reactions to things oh, yeah. in new york now did you watch uh somebody's gonna hear me say what i'm about to say or ask what I'm about to ask, and they're gonna be like, "This has nothing to do with Star Wars." We'll we'll get. Yeah, if you've listened to the show, we will get there. Everything is storytelling in some way. It all connects. Um, the uh, Scorsese produced uh, Friendly Boots, the Pretend It's a City on Netflix. Have you watched that? No, I haven't. I want to because I watched Friendly Boots get interviewed on Z-Way because she oh, was like yeah, the yeah, first yeah. guest. On I Z-Way saw the trailers for that, and I was like, 
this looks brutally uncomfortable. Well, because it's very clear that like they told Fran Leibowitz and she was like, I'm just going to react of how I would react. And it exactly. is so awkward. It is great. It's it is like two people doing completely ever. different bits like that are colliding. But yeah, in that, so the, it's, a, it's like a five or six part docuseries just about Fran and her relationship with New York and Scorsese being such a close friend of hers, interviews her throughout, shot it. He sits with her at different restaurants, whatever. And the reason why it's called Pretend It's a City is because of that sort of interaction that you're describing where she's like, people come up to you and they want to ask, how do I get here? You know, what recommendations, mm-hmm. this, that. And she's like, you want to take them and say, pretend it's a city where people live and have things to do. And it's not just a place that you come to <laughs> like when you want to have fun. <laughs> yes, but it's also one of those I'm like, I will help you. If, I, if, you're, if you look lost, I'll be like, where are you trying to go? But then they always like, the best is when someone, is, like a tourist will be like, how do I get to this specific restaurant? I'm like, where the fuck is it? Like, I was like, I don't know where every restaurant in New York City, do you know where every restaurant is where you live? No. Like, I'm like, can I have any kind of context to like, the location yeah. you're trying to go or someone will go they'll be on one train they'll be like does the four take me here i'm like man this is the l train what do you you got to get off the train and get to the four like it doesn't just turn into the four train yeah uh, so me and fran Leibowitz will disagree on that one like i will help people but i also am the person that i'm like if you don't give me any context and you're just asking me things i'm gonna be like i don't get the time bye but we're also young so maybe by the time you're <laughs> in the 70s, you will have turned into that. Yeah, by that point, I'll be like, how dare you ask me a question about yeah. New York? Yeah, stop wasting my time. But it's, and are you, <laughs> are you originally from up there? No. So I was born in Pittsburgh, uh, okay. lived there till I was like 10, and then we moved to California, um, lived there till I was like 15, and then we moved to North Carolina. And I, uh, no, no hate towards the South. The minute that I was able to not live in North Carolina anymore, mm. I moved to New York. It was like, Those bye. Are exceedingly different places. And the reason uh-huh. I ask is because New York, like California, where you've also lived, those two places in particular are such pie in the sky, uh, dreamer, you know, dreamer mm-hmm. hubs, att- attracting people with big aspirations, big visions for themselves. A lot of which is very Star Wars. You see, I got us there. I got us to Star Wars. That's all the themes. It's every lead character, um, though they have different capacities emotionally for how they get there. Some of them are more hesitant to leave, like Ray. Some of them are still immensely tied to home, like Ezra. But they all have that core thread that we see with Luke or characters like Peter Parker or characters like Dorothy and that entire uh, archetype of that hero that has wanderlust and then goes Mm. beyond themselves. And so I guess a a fun way to start is sort of, and I've realized this as I've done these interviews, is that it's, it's the step behind the step of, you know, step one is usually like, what's your background with Star Wars? But really... What's your background with sort of fantastical storytelling overall, science fiction, fantasy, uh, sword and sorcery, princesses? Like, was there something in that for you as a kid that brought you into that? Because now it's your life. Comes in many forms, but, you know, editing and writing on the Mary Sue, the, the, the crux of that content is pop culture, is franchise IP, different angles, of course. 
but now you're living in it. So where does yeah. that start for you, even independently of Star Wars? Uh, so uh, I grew up, my brothers are both 20 and 10 years older than I am. Mm. So my middle brother is like me, very nerdy, loves all these different properties and characters. Yeah, I'm more character driven. He's more, oh, this char- this story arc is really good. Uh, but I like cling to characters and I want to know everything about those characters. Um, and when I was a kid, before I was born, he was convinced that I was going to be a boy and was like, I'm going to teach him about Star Wars and Star Trek and all my superheroes and all that stuff. And then my mom's like, well, it could be a little sister. He goes, okay, same deal. Like she's not going to not know this stuff. And so like I grew up in a house that like he embraced all of it and like shared it with me. And so now he has a daughter and I'm like trying to do this. Like I bought her Spider-Man onesies, but I, um, it was just very much part of how I grew up. And like princesses were, I love the Disney princess movies, mm. um, but I always wanted to be Belle who yeah. uh, had the pretty dress, but also was more about like, I'm going to read these books about like pirates and I'm going to like, and so I liked Princess Leia a lot because Princess Leia was a princess, but just by title, like she didn't act like there, I don't have any hatred to princesses, like I guess Cinderella and Snow White, but those were just not me. I never wanted to be the like, oh, I'm going to just fall in love. Like, it's like, no, I'm going to be the princess that does like 20 other things. Like the love would be nice, but like, that's not my goal. Right. Um, and so from a very young age, like I knew what princesses and stories I really clung to. Um, and like you mentioned, Peter Parker, Peter Parker has been my favorite since, pff, I don't even know. I mean, I, I my bro- the first midnight movie I ever went to was Sam Raimi's Spider-Man movie with my brother. But um, like, I used to watch cartoons with him. Like, I love those fantastical stories because most of them are rooted in everyday normal people doing extraordinary things like sure Peter Parker um got bitten by a spider and became Spider-Man but he is just a kid from Queens yeah and uh it's the same thing when you like break down Cap like yes Captain America is this uh, super soldier but he is just a kid from Brooklyn who is now like and the reason he became a super soldier was because of his heart and I think that is what I always clung to stories with them was Star Wars, particularly uh, my favorite character of all time is Chewbacca. And it's because he, it was always about like his heart and like he was with Han because he owed Han a life debt and it wasn't, and like it became a friendship and like that love and like his dedication to him was always something that I like in stories. Uh, And so all of my, like what I like about storytelling and, especially with these franchises is I'll pick the character that I think at their core is a normal person just trying to do their best. Granted, I like characters who are also very complex and out there and weird, but like my favorites are always the ones who are just trying to do the right thing. And I think, uh, yeah. And it like, it's been that way with star Wars too. Like I like the characters who are just trying to do like their one goal and be like, I'll help whoever I need to help, but I'm doing my one thing, which is why I like Mandalorian so much. Because that's right. like his whole MO. <laughs> it's yeah. like, I'm going to do this one thing and I'll like help you guys. But He's the king of the side quests. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> he just cannot for the life of him say no to any, which I think is a very millennial thing. Like, oh, can you yeah. get email comes in? Oh, Rachel, can you handle this? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll do it. Like, <laughs> you just accept everything that yeah. they're like, can you, yeah, I'll do all these 20 things you've asked, but also like, 
you asked me to do 20 things. I'm trying to do this one thing. Yep. Grogu crying in the corner. He's hungry. Needs more it's soup. my cat. Benji's yeah. just like, Aah. Yeah, shout out to, to Ben Wyatt, the cat. Um, the former cat mayor. <laughs> I put peace signs up. <laughs> She's been throwing peace signs up this entire time, people. You guys haven't seen them? For the benefit of the audio listener. Yeah, for the benefit <laughs> should, of the audio listener. I should throw in a ding every time there's a peace sign. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I completely relate and love relate to and love so much of what you said because when you go back to like you know the george lucas of it all and those connections to sort of the zeitgeist of what was happening of course he, he's coming off of american graffiti which is you know in in this in the same way to greece and things like that it's what is yeah. the youth of america like at this time what is the youth of america like at this time and he's right there where it was everyday people protesting war protesting these different ideals you know sticking it to the man as it were and he's also looking to somebody who was one of his senior creators that he looked up to um and like stan lee steve ditko and and jack and all those guys that were taking the contrarian approach to something like a dc comics which and this is not a knock on dc they're just fundamentally built different whereas dc outside of bruce wayne and his family they're gods, you know, they, they're ideals. Uh, Diana is, is a god. Uh, Superman is a god. The Green Lantern Corps are gods. The Flash is a god. Like, they affect time, space, all these things. The Marvel heroes are laid on their bills. They're getting divorced. <laughs> like, they're having problems. Going back to those early stories, I mean, even someone like Doctor Strange, he only got to that place because he was was irreparably damaged physically and and was unable to do his trade. So he lost his career. Like they come from very different places versus someone like a Clark Kent, who despite having the farm boy elements is destined, you know, he's, he's bestowed upon the world and he's, everybody always says that Clark is Jesus, but Clark is Moses. And in the way that he's, he's sent down the river, except it's space and he has to show up and deliver a people, you know, in the same way. So they're, fundamentally uh, built a little bit different. So I, I do think there's a lot of parallels between a Marvel love and a Star Wars love. I never really like to compare them as brands, but in terms of story content, it's just about a lot of you know damaged people. I mean, and even diving into someone like Chewbacca, who I'm really excited to talk to you about because he doesn't get nearly, nearly enough shine on any show and any, and any book. Like he doesn't get his due. No. I mean, he had one oh, great five-issue comic, and that's about it that he's had. Please, Chewie is the best, and people just like they're like, whatever. It's Chewbacca. I'm like, no, Chewie is the best character in Star Wars. He rules. Han is his dog. Yes. And you look at it, and you're like, yes. Oh, that's a man and his dog. He's like, no, Chewie is the owner. Chewie's the man. Dog. That's so true. I have to give a. A shout out to my buddy, Matt, uh, Matt Sculthorpe, who did uh, the solo commentary with me way back on the podcast feed that people can scroll down and listen to. We've had that exact conversation off air where he's like, people always say, like you said, that it's the other way, that Chewie is Han's dog. But no, like Han is like a third puppy because Chewie's so old. It's like his third dog that he's had. He didn't want him. He pees everywhere. Like impossible to train. But he's so endearing that Chewbacca's like, I'll keep him. <laughs> like, well, because it's one of those things, like, it, even not, like, the dynamic. If you just look at it from this, the, like, lifespan of Chewbacca versus mm. a human, it's like, yes, that is when you get a cat or a dog and you're like, I know I'm only going to have this thing for, like, 13 years, but, like, I'm going to love him while I have him. And that's only Chewie's relationship because he's like, 
I'm going to be around for like 800 more years and this guy is still going to be, he's going to be gone. So like, that's my yeah. dog. It's fine. Whatever. Yeah. And it rules. And it's like Ben Solo then would be like when your dog has, it has its own puppies yeah, and then you're like, oh, I'm, I'm keeping this one and we got to find homes for the other ones. And so <laughs> oh, this one's kind of, kind of problematic, but you know, he, he tears up the training pads, but. Yeah, and there's... then Ray Ray is the dog that just like someone died and gave, gifted you the dog, yes. and you're like, man, now I got another one. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Chewbacca is you know he's the he's one of the the stalwarts, one of the 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 keepers of the story, going all the way back to his friendship with Yoda, and you see sort of how he's been seated throughout. And I would love to see, would love to see, and it's been one of my key wants since the higher public was announced, a young Chewie like a young, young, like, like a child, you know, if somebody, cause we have Briaga uh, and, and another Jedi master, whose name escapes me coming up in, in the manga. It would be so easy for them to just be like, Oh, and this is my son Chewbacca. And then we move on. doesn't have to have a storyline, but just, just to know that he was there. Establish him as that being there. And I'd be like, great. Yeah. Perfect. It's yeah. what he deserves at this point. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we dive into um, more of the nitty gritty of Chewie and of, of Star Wars in particular, um, so we've talked a little bit about sort of that relationship with story and, and sort of the characters you like, that everyman character. Um, I've said on the show before, my favorite character is Han. So it's those the same side mm -hmm. of the coin, other side of the coin from you. Um, but I am curious about sort of your participatory um, journey in fandom and in pop culture spaces because you're a writer you're a performer, you have all these different passions that tie in with the worlds that you love. Um, but that takes sort of like an inciting incident. So I'm curious, was it, I want to be an actress, I want to write in school from a little kid? Was it like a teacher or a club or something that pushed you in and into wanting to actually be a part of it, instead of just watching and appreciating and learning about it? Um, so I always wanted to be an actress for as long as I can remember, because I uh, I come from a family of movie watchers and lovers and my older brother, the same one who was the nerd, like me and my brother, Patrick, he um, used to make movies with his friends. And so they were all like 13 and I was three. And so I would be like, I want to be in the movie and like would run in. And I remember there was one movie where he, uh, we're Italian and he was like, all right, I'm making a mob movie. I was like, okay, great. So he made me his daughter. And I remember I had to run in and go, daddy, daddy. And like a, fake fur coat that my mom used to put me in That's and I like would run in and then I got shot in my in my old bedroom and just like laid on the floor and all and he, my brother was like no and like so I remember stuff like that and I was like oh I wanted to I wanted to make movies I wanted to be in them with him and then when we moved to California my mom was like you always like acting like I didn't do theater as a young kid but I was always if there was a school production of something I knew everyone else's lines just in case. Like, I was like, oh, they forgot, I got it, you don't worry. And so, like, I was always that kid. So, right. I was annoying. Um, and then when we moved to California, my mom was like, why don't you take acting classes? And so, I started taking acting classes and then, like, started to get into theater a little bit more. And then when I got um, to high school was when I started doing all of the plays, started writing my own stuff because uh, I realized my – the way I look – as like an ingenue and the way I speak was never going to get me roles that I wanted because I think a lot of people, I, I, you guys can't see me. I'm five foot two 
and I'm like a tiny girl. So especially on stage, they see me as like a young child or an ingenue or like the like ditzy love interest. Mm -hmm. But I just, that never interested me. It was never roles I wanted to play. Um, I remember in college, me and my professors would fight a lot about, because I studied performance theater. Um, We would fight a lot about the roles that I was going to play. And I was like, I don't want to play those. Like uh, you're pigeonholing me into roles that I would not be good in or wouldn't like. Um, And so my teacher called me shrew-like and cast me in a scene for Taming of the Shrew as Kate because he hated Kate and thought she was a bitch. So then, and then the next time we did a Shakespeare drama, he put me as Lady Macbeth, who is one of my favorite Shakespeare women. So I was like, okay, you, you're trying to tell me that I'm an asshole, but also like, thank no, you, you for that. one of my, yeah, I was like, thank you for one of my favorite you got roles. one of the most compelling parts. And, yeah, <laughs> I was like, thanks, uh, I understand. But it's, uh, and so I like realized relatively early on that like I needed to write roles for myself. And so mm-hmm. like, if I was auditioning for something and I knew what role I wanted, I would write a monologue from a character's perspective that I thought fit it. I started in high school and I did that. And it's not a good practice. So if people are listening to this and they're auditioning, don't do this. This is not a good practice. It was just what I did in high school that inspired me to like write my own stuff. Um, and then in college, I would like write my own plays uh, and start started telling my own stories that way. And then once I got out of college was when I was like, I want to work on writing movies and TV and started just writing pilots and stuff. And always some of them have a role that I was like, this is the role I would like to play mm-hmm. and written in my voice and how I would approach it. And then there are others that are just like, I don't know. I don't need to be in it. It'd be nice. Yeah. But like, this is a, this is a story I want to tell. Um, and so I go, which I feel like is a very common thing with people who went in as actors. They reach a point where they want to write and create things that are separate from their acting. Mm-hmm. I'm just in the middle ground of, I'm, I want to write stories and I want to act, but I'm not doing either. So I just do kind of both when I'm working on my stuff. Yeah. And yeah. So that that was more the inciting thing was just wanting to be an actress. I think you've touched on something there that is so relevant to pretty much every, every artist's life, but particularly like from the nineties to today, you know, these like three decades from like the 90s independent cinema sort of revolution to now where we are in a very creator driven world because the movie star is dead. They're gone. You know, movie stars don't open movies anymore. I mean, we've seen that with things like Men in Black, you know, with Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth doesn't do well. Uh, of course, quality comes into this too. I, I was going to say Doolittle. You know, I think that if Doolittle was Listen, good, I was, went and saw Doolittle. Was, I enjoyed it. People <laughs> were mean about it. Well, there, there you go. Doolittle has its fan, but just me. But it's it's singular fan. <laughs> just me. Just and one. It's only because it's Robert Downey Jr. and Tom Holland is a dog. Exactly. <laughs> that's but that's the thing. Robert Downey Jr. coming off of the greatest run, mm-hmm. probably ever. Greater than any Bond run, greater than any Batman run, greater than any, uh, greater than Captain Jack Sparrow is his run from start to finish as Stark. And then the next movie bombs, you know, Mm -hmm. because we are now in the age of creators and IP, where now you have rock star directors, rock star writers. And that started with like 
Rodriguez, Tarantino goes forward into Nolan, comes now with your Taika, your Jordan. I was just to say Taika, yeah. Uh, Greta Gerwig, you know, people now that it's like, oh, they're doing something else. Okay, cool. Um, so I think that people have have sort of that breakthrough that you're talking about, where it's like I, I can only do so much for other people, mm-hmm. and it's like it's not that you don't love that, you know, you don't love the craft of acting, but you see so many people making that transition. People like Angelina Jolie, people like Ben Affleck. Um, someone like Taika who has performed and acted and, and was an actor and, and a painter doing gallery shows and things like that. He's talked about how eventually you're like, I can't fit into the box anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and you need to make stuff that can, is unique to your voice, which again is so very Star Wars in terms of how it started as the, you know, the biggest independent movie ever. And now it's we live in, a, yeah. And now we live <laughs> in a climate where that'll never happen again. Um, just because of the way things are, it, it, it's unfortunate, but it is again forcing people to, um, you know, make things on their phones and and, and make things, you know, do independent, um, you know, black box productions or put on their own readings and things like that. So it's an interesting time, um, and so I'm curious how this particular, especially this past year, has affected your creative output and your mentality in terms of like breaking things down. I mean, you can definitely talk about the Mary Sue and how you got into that um, to tie into it because I've had a very uh, a public, because I've shared it on, on my socials, a public like content mental health breakdown of like the way that content is and how I think it's like, it's, and thank you Bo Burnham also for spurring that in my brain. Yeah. Um, Thanks inside. Like, yeah. Thank you. Thanks inside for ruining me and inspiring me. Um, but how has it sort of affected your relationship with um, being also a, a pundit and a writer? Because it's it's one thing to say like, oh, Loki's out. Let me talk about Loki. And But your brain, you're stretching your brain between trying to make stuff and also talk about stuff other people have made. So do you, do you struggle at all there? Um, so I have a reputation of being the person who uh, will find something to like in everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, my letter, my letterbox bit is that every movie, unless I f- am offended by it, gets five stars. If I'm offended, <laughs> you get no stars. Um, there's no in between. Which actually, The Last Jedi has four stars because of the blue titty milk. Is what my review for The Last Jedi was. First I came of out all, of that movie and I said four stars because of the blue titty milk. It is green titty milk. All right, I know you. <laughs> I know you were offended, but you need to respect the thalassiren. That was the four star. That it got four stars because I said the titty milk. No, thank you. Like a step too far. <laughs> step too far with the titty milk. Um, but every other movie, unless I am like offended or just like furious at it, gets mm. five stars. Um, I think the only ones that did not get five stars were like Joker, yesterday because I was very mad about the logistics of it. Yesterday, it just like infuriated me. The logistics. Of it yesterday. made me so mad. And then like for me to for a second cheer that John Lennon was alive, and then be like, wait, no, he sucks. Like if yeah. like, I was yeah. so mad that whole movie. <laughs> um, and then oh, uh, the Sierra Burgess movie, Bogus, the one on Netflix where she mm. like tricks a man into kissing her i was like no stars he didn't consent to that you don't get I, any stars this is bad i haven't seen those it are like, i'll take those are like my, those are my movies that get like no stars but i am known of just like i always i want to create i know how hard it is to create yes. i don't like those people who go into them 
with the mindset of, I don't like these things. My least favorite reviewers on this planet are the people who are very vocal about the fact that they don't like a certain genre or franchise or whatever it is, and yet they are given the review. I don't like it. I understand you're coming at it from a critical point of view, but I still don't like it because it's, you don't have that love. And so your review is already tainted by the fact that you are like, this movie has to prove something to me. Mm-hmm. If you're not a fan of, if you're not a fan of the thing from the get go, the movie is proving something to the fans. So it's like, you are saying like, this movie should prove something to you, not the fans of this franchise. It's a preconceived notion. And it's a, it's a really yeah. weird, I completely agree with you. I mean, there's, there's like, first of all, the bit of, of five stars or no stars is like very funny, but I also think it's very profound because I, I completely, I haven't written a, a review. I think, I think the last review I wrote was for like 1917. So it hasn't been years, but it's been a couple of yeah. years. Um, and I remember I got to the end of that review. I was writing it for iHeart for uh, one of our radio stations. And I was like, I, I don't want to do this anymore because like people want you to have scores, stars, all these things. And it's not science. You can't quantify them down in those ways. And it's, it's so like, like people will listen to a show and just be like, well, I just want to know what score they're going to give it. Yeah. Like, and it's like, so I can get out of here. Like they don't want to engage in the discussion. So that's why I like that. Um, but then on top of that, what you're t- touching on in terms of the creative process, like it's just as hard to make something bad as it is to make something good. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a labor of love either way, even if the thing ends up being something that I vehemently dislike, you know, I can't deny that somebody had the right to go and do that. And I want them to have that creative freedom. And so some critics, like you're saying with the prove it to me, I've heard people discuss like, do you, when you go in and you sit there ready to review a movie does it start at zero stars and have to earn its way up or does it start at five and have to break it? Starts at five. Yeah. It it starts at five for me, for sure. Yeah. It's weird. Well, I just, I, I, there are so many things to be upset and hate in this world. And it's like, I'm so tired of that being, but it's, it's funny because like my friends, we've been doing these like zoom readings every Friday and we'll like pick a show and we all do them. We just have fun. But like so many times they'd like someone would go, I was trying to watch this movie and I was seeing like, oh my God, who rated it five stars out of my friends? And it's always Rachel. <laughs> I was like, yes, because I I rate things for work and I still rate them relatively high unless I'm like upset by it. Yeah. But like I rate them relatively high because I enjoy going to the movies and seeing movies. And like my brother said, it really, like really, he put it in a way that I was like, yeah, that's how I think about movies was he is a huge Star Trek fan. Hmm. Like it's his favorite thing. He told his wife when they first met, it is an unconditional love with him and how he loves Star Trek. Um, and he went to, I forget the guy's name, but he built the bridge of the enterprise and you can okay. go on the bridge of the enterprise. And so my brother's wife spent all this money so they could go and he could be on the bridge of the enterprise. Um, and so the guy though was shitting on the later Star Trek things. Like he was like, I think he didn't like Deep Space Nine or he didn't like Voyager or something. And my brother was like, Star Trek. Like we have, that's just more Star Trek. Like, yeah, there are bad aspects of it, but it's Star Trek. Like if you shit on it, then they're going to stop making it and we won't have good things. Like a good example, I'm so sorry, J.J. Abrams, but like the J.J. Abrams Star Trek were, the first one was good. The second one was, we don't talk about it. And then, but because people kept going, they made Beyond, which is a 
perfect Star Trek movie. I love And so it's like, I really do. Beyond is one of the best Star Trek movies out there. And, but you had to get through uh, fucking Into Darkness and uh, Whitewashing Con. But like, you, it's, if you come from a place of love and you're like, I can hold this thing accountable and say, hey, this isn't okay. You need to do this with the pro, like, Wonder Woman 1984 truly broke my heart with how people reacted on Twitter. I understood all of the critiques. I agreed with 90% of them. I also was like, why did you take this to Egypt? They could have gone to Texas. Dallas was a television show in the 80s. Why did Steve Trevor just not come back? Like, I agreed with those points. But the way people were so excited to tear down Wonder Woman 1984 broke me. And I was just like, but it's Wonder Woman. She, I, I love Wonder Woman. I have a Wonder Woman tattoo. I wear a Wonder Woman ring. Like I love Diana Prince. I like seeing Diana Prince. Yeah. And I, I, I didn't like the movie, but if you go back to my you know, little tweet thread about it, it's very hard to tell I didn't like it because I played it very much based on what I did like, um, mm-hmm. and and alluded to the fact that the story didn't add up for me. But we live. And you're touching on this, and I and I love that you went there with this conversation. We live in a what the fuck have you done for me lately society, mm-hmm. and and you are a rock star one second, and then you're shit the next second, and that's why whenever anybody comes with a a sophomore season or a sophomore effort, I'm always, you know, my 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 body my body goes stiff like with, with anxiety for them because it's like Patty Jenkins was on top of the world and they didn't sign her for a sequel. So then she got to hold Warner brothers by the balls and ask for more money and, and get what she deserved and then plant her flag as a next level franchise director. Then she takes one on the chin with the second one. And then everyone's like, well, should she really have the rogue squadron job? And it's like, did you forget that you loved the first one? <laughs> Well, and it's like, yes, but Patty is a white woman. So, like, yes, she should also be held accountable because I feel like we as white women get away with a lot and it's not fair at all. Um, and that's why, like, I read a lot of the Wonder Woman 1984 reviews by critics of color because I was like, a bunch of white people just want to punch down on Patty Jenkins in this movie. And I was like, I am going to only read the reviews of critics of color and their interpretation of this movie because they like there are the opinions that I care about in this, yeah. and that's why it's like I, I I recognize that that movie is problematic, but I also like I like Wonder Woman, so it's like I, I I and like it took me a really long time to realize it was okay that I liked that movie and could like recognize the problems with it because of how the internet wants to just like have a villain. Well, the internet also needs everything to be binary. You know, it's yeah. either the best thing ever, or the worst thing ever. Like we are unequivocally in a better place than we were ten years ago which was an unequivocally better place than 10 years before that. It doesn't mean there still isn't leagues of work to be done and, and, a, and a massive amount of progress that needs to be made. Um, but you just have to acknowledge it. Uh, it is not my lived in experience. And so I very much read and shared things that I saw from other people because right. that is their experience and their conversation. And I, it didn't upset me with, I saw a bunch of white people being like, well, now it's my turn to talk. I'm like, no, it's not. Yeah. This is not at any point your time. You had your turn, and it lasted about four hundred years, and I think that we we're we're, we're passing it around now. You can you can have yeah. another turn in the in the twenty five hundreds. Yeah, it's um, just but, like oh, we're critiquing the movie. My time's like nope, nope, not your turn. You can a, sit over there. 
it's like a pathological need to be part of a conversation. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We've created like such an, uh, and again, I criticize so much of the online culture. I wouldn't have it any other way because I, because I love being online. I'm an addict, yeah. you know, but I, I, I do think that we've created such a, I need to be heard, pay attention to me um, when the conversation is not about you. And I think that the, one of the most powerful realizations and again, I'll invoke uh, a little bit of Marvel. It's one of the reasons why I really like the Doctor Strange uh, Benedict Cumberbatch adaptation is because it, it, the whole thesis statement of that movie is when he gets told it's not about you. And once you can say that, especially in a fandom like Star Wars, then it becomes very much like, okay, like it's completely all right to have liked XYZ characters or arcs or whatever. As long as you say, I also acknowledge that it did not land for these people for X, Y, Z reasons. And, and again, it comes back to that Wonder Woman 84, just understanding that you can like something. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you problematic, but you just have to also hold your art to standards that are reasonable, realistic, um, that want progress, uh, that, that are inherently built toward the idea of progress. Because I've gone on about this show for the past few episodes, I think, in various capacities about how Star Wars, you know, just because this is a Star Wars podcast, um, is, to me, like a person that I love very, very much. Everybody that you love will disappoint you in various capacities. Everybody that you love will surprise you. Everybody that you love will also have things that don't surprise you at all. It could be very predictable. And like you're saying with your brother and, and Star Trek, Star Wars will never do anything outside of something heinous, you know, like an unimaginable uh, that would ever get me to stop loving it. Mm-hmm. It has its days where for everybody where you're like, ah, oh, that's not my favorite thing you ever did, Star Wars. I'm like, I wish, I wish you wouldn't have done that, Star Wars. You made me mad. Um, but you still love them. You, yeah. You're, they're still, you're still going to have dinner together and go to bed, like, you know, like brush teeth, watch TV together. Like that's, <laughs> That is what it is. So like I, there are people that hate The Last Jedi and they're right. I love it. There are people that hate The Rise of Skywalker. They're right. And I love it. There are people that love Rogue One more than any other movie. That one's my least favorite out of the new ones. And, and I don't say that very often because it, it just got the reaction from you of shock that people can't I have a Rogue One tattoo. I love Cassie and Andor is like one of my, like I know you I say Chewbacca is my favorite, but like I have a list of like it goes Chewbacca, ride or die forever. Yeah. And then and it's like one like, A, one B. Yeah. And then it's like Himbo King of Mandalore, Dindajarin. <laughs> and then it goes Mylea Love. Uh, and then Cassie and Obi, like those are all a hodgepodge of like I love yeah. all of them, and one day they're my, more my favorite than the other one. Right. But like, but yeah, I. But yes, I understand what you're saying because it's what's very frustrating with me about the people who want to vehemently hate the Last Jedi, uh, especially because it's the, it, it's all the sequel trilogy, but it's like the Last Jedi was what we divided everyone, mm-hmm. um, which is. I stand by this and I'll stay, say it on this podcast and I'm sure people will yell at me again. They want to think Luke Skywalker is not a drama king. And so 
when <laughs> uh, if, for, the, for me, I love The Last Jedi because I was like, it is Luke Skywalker as his most dramatic self yep. doing things. And then the Mandalorian backed it up with the most dramatic thing Luke Skywalker could have done. Like, it's like, he's so dramatic. I love him. I love the Skywalkers. They are the, the drama kings and queens of the galaxy. I love them. It's not me hating on them. That is a term of endearment to me that they are dramatic. Um, but, that's what we want. Yeah. That's what stories are. You know, like that's that you is... want a character who's like he's that's why Harry Potter is very much Star Wars in a lot of ways, and like Harry is Luke, because they are two of the most dramatic main characters of a series I have ever met. And I love them, but they are very dramatic. Like the first time we meet Luke, he's crying about wanting to go to Tashi Station to pick up power converters. And in such like a childish way, and then you're like he must be a kid, and it's like, oh, he's in his twenty. Oh, oh, he's a ju- he's just he's just a, a little drama queen. Great, I'm I'm on board. And then he like gets knocked over and lays in the sand. And I'm like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. It's a hot mess. I'm obsessed with it. But I think so many, particularly male fans of Star Wars clung to how they interpreted these characters and when someone else came in that wasn't George Lucas or Larry Kasdan or Carrie Fisher who ghost wrote a lot of those movies um they would they suddenly were like that's not Luke it's like no it is it's just not your interpretation of the character but that is what is on screen that is the canon yeah and it went from loving a franchise to I know more than these people. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you don't know more than people who have talked to George Lucas? Are you out of your minds? Um, and that, that's what is so frustrating. Is like, I, I don't, I know people who are still Star Wars fans who are like, I didn't like Last Jedi. I love Rise of Skywalker. I'm like, that's a choice I don't understand because I don't really like Rise of Skywalker. But <laughs> That's a choice I don't understand. That's such a wholesome reaction. Yeah, I was like, okay. But and that's the thing is like I move on because I'm like, I know what I like about Star Wars, and you know mm-hmm. what you like about Star Wars and someone else, because it's all of ours. Yeah. And it's it's very much the men who would question would quiz me as a young kid about Star Wars knowledge, who Absolutely. would be like, What's the machete order? I'm like, No, what if you just shut the fuck up? First like, of all, machete order is uh bad. I'm gonna I've never said that on the show, but it's it's bad. It's bad idea. I did it for the first time because like our old roommate had never seen star wars and so before rise of skywalker my my best friend and i were like should we do a shetty order it and just see how it works because like we know this story so well and it was funny because our old roommate literally did not realize that palpatine and the emperor were the same person oh that's me and i was sitting there and she was like yeah she's like what and i'm like it's the same actor no. But I was like, I, I guess I, my entire life, I've always known Emperor Palpatine, and, like, comes after chance. Like, I was, what, 10 when Phantom Menace came out? And was right. like, it's, yeah. It's, it's, you don't really meet a lot of people that don't know the ins and outs. Because everybody knows about, about Empire and the twist. But, yeah, like, I watched the original trilogy with somebody that didn't know that Vader turned back to the light. And that was really cool because when we got to the end of Jedi and he threw Palpatine, they were really surprised. And so I was like, oh, it's cool. Like I've never gotten to see somebody react to that that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, it comes down to, to gatekeeping. I mean, it comes down to there's, there's a, a healthy way, I think, 
and it's not something that you can be defined, but there's a healthy way to attach your identity to something that you love. Mm -hmm. um, I've got, you know, my Grogu tattoo and my Sabine tattoo, and I've got stuff all over the room. Well, a lot of it's being moved and stuff, but uh, there's elements throughout your entire life. You know, you were talking about your tattoos behind you. You got a collection of different characters. You can see Leia, you could see Stark, Sirius Black, you know, the WandaVision, like all these things have become so part of your, of your existence. But then there's that too far, you know, that's, it's, that's another Star Wars idea. Like if, if you go down that path forever, will it dominate your destiny? Like if you become so attached to it in an unhealthy way that a criticism of it or a knock on it or a interpretation of it is a knock on you, then mm -hmm. that's a you problem that you need to break down. Because the thing about something like Luke and Last Jedi is that it got to, like you're saying, with the, the drama of that family, it got to the heart of who he was, not the way that film history remembers him. Mm -hmm. Because when you put together an Academy Awards Oscar montage, like they love to do all the time, of don't you just love movies? Like if, if they're going to include Star Wars in it, it's probably going to be an original trilogy clip. And it'll probably be Luke, Connor, Leia doing something really cool. We have remembered them forever as being very cool. A whole generation of children remember Luke in their minds as this Arthurian knight badass who was a great friend, a great brother, a great son, a great student, all of these things. And they attached themselves to that without going back and really examining his faults. Same way that I always say that Han Solo, being one of my favorite characters, is misremembered wholeheartedly as being a badass. He's not. Oh, he never no, has he is. Wait, my favorite thing that Solo did was make him like not be able to talk to girls. Because yeah. the thing that used to drive me crazy was when men would come up to me and be like uh, Han Solo is suave I'm like no he is not no. that man cannot talk to a woman no. like he flirts with Leia and the only reason it is any way good is because Leia's like entertaining him like, yes. like and then the next movie he is like I forget how to function as a person again yep. and it's like he Han Solo was a hermit who got thrown in with people and <laughs> like for whatever reason people remember him as this suave debonair human i'm like uh he never was that way that is what you interpreted from him yeah. but like in the and, and context that's also like, of these shows we've no. mythologized harrison ford too like indiana jones is suave um sort of though he's also a little like he he's is like, too because he's, he's a big nerd like a... you go to like the beginning of temple you get some stuff but like harrison as a person has hollywood legend mystique that's changing yeah. everything but like leia doesn't fall for han because he charms her actively he charms her passively yeah. by being different in her life because she comes yeah. from royalty and, and, and palaces and government meetings and probably raised like a debutante. I mean, we get a lot of that in like Leia Princess of Alderaan about her upbringing. Yeah. And he's refreshing in that he is a doofus. And yeah. He's a smuggler who can barely function. <laughs> And like, he, I don't and know how he hasn't died beforehand. Exactly, and he's unequivocally not that great at what he does. I mean, he's, he's just exceedingly lucky, and he believes in himself to a fault, which is how he's <laughs> able to succeed, because he, he's just like, everything's going to go my way. I mean, that's another great moment that I love in Solo is, I got a really good feeling about this. Like, we see, like, how it started, how his career sort of started. He has this um, 
this ability to be unfazed. And so the, the almost on a meta level, the legend of Han Solo in the galaxy, which I love that Force Awakens touched on with him owing Kanja Club and the Guavian yeah. Death Gang. Like, yeah, but like, and then Ray and Finn are like, Han Solo? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then, and then he owes like, a bunch of people money. Han Solo, there's no one left in the galaxy for you to swindle. Like, <laughs> he's just got this, like, this aura, but he cannot ever match up to it. That's why Chewbacca has great moments in that movie of like, yeah, yeah, he's Han Solo. Like Chewbacca looks so done after 30 years of hanging out. But so yeah, so so anyway, all of that is to say that memory is a really, really powerful thing for better and for worse. And I remember uh, Anthony Bresnikin, uh, formerly of EW and now of Vanity Fair, um, said that The Last Jedi was the first Star Wars movie that was not just about growing up, but also about growing old. And that's why it became this controversial sticking point for so many people. Because you, it's hard to, and that's why I applaud Ryan. Because you know that Ryan, he has a Star Wars kid, like, of course he wanted to write badass Luke scenes. Like, I'm sure he had a million crumpled up pages of stuff that was awesome, but just but not it, fitting. It was still awesome. When he, like, brushes the sand, like, oh. I think it was a perfect, I am still Luke Skywalker, but also, I know I talk about the Mandalorian a lot, but it was, no, I no. was very burnt out on Star Wars after Rise of Skywalker. Because I no. didn't particularly love how they handled Leia. Like, I no. almost wish she had died off camera in a battle. No. Um, did not love, they were like, she would have been a Jedi, but she's not. Uh, didn't like that. Didn't. There were like things that I was like, Carrie Fisher and Leia are so very near and dear to me. Yeah. There were just things that I was like, don't really love this. And I'm a big EU fan. And so, mm-hmm. like, I, I was still holding out hope I would see Mara Jade at some point. But I, I, still, I still have that hope. But I think... There are ways. There are ways. But what I love about The Mandalorian, and, like, it's so funny because I watched all of these people react to Luke showing up in The Mandalorian. And I watched them be like, this is the Luke I know and love. And I'm like... And you don't understand why this is the most dramatic thing Luke Skywalker has ever chosen to do. And he is the king of doing dramatic things. No other Jedi would train him. Grogu. They, Ahsoka was like, no Jedi should train him. He is too attached. In rolls fucking Luke Skywalker being like, I'll do it. And it is the most dramatic thing I've ever mm-hmm. seen. I was just like, this, this right here is the this man would go on to do what happened in La- the last Jedi. Yeah. And I think it's baffling in a lot of ways when, when before like, see, this is my badass Luke. I'm like, he's, he was always a badass Jedi. That was never in question. It is the fact that he is so dramatic that he's like, I'm going to project myself and then die on my cliff. Like it just, it fits for me in a way that I'm like, I gave you a dab it. So it's like, I, I, it just fits so well. I mean, it's um, the, it's the folly <laughs> of heroes i mean that's the yeah. that's the whole thing that i went on about for 30 tweets after that episode came out was that this whole idea of when he tells ray what do you want me to face down the whole first order with a laser sword it's not that he can't the point that he's making is that he could the point yeah. that he's making is that he has done cool shit like that many times but he's and, also but old. what did it get you yeah, you know, what did like, he get him? A burned down Jedi school and yeah, exactly. uh, his brother in law got killed. Now we can watch The Last Jedi and see that scene and think about Grogu. 
yeah. and think about, oh, maybe that, maybe that was another thing that he thought was going to go one way and didn't. You know, and that's Luke's entire thing, telling Ray, this is not going to go the way you think. If you think you could just show up and do X, Y, Z, and it's going to be great. Like, he is, he's complex because of those victories. You need to see Luke do cool stuff in Mandalorian and Battlefront 2 and Forces of Destiny uh, and uh, many of the Marvel comics where he's, he's learning and training. All of that stuff adds to this myth that emphasizes the man. And we see that across... Mm-hmm so much uh, media when you do a story about an older man. And I think that that's a lot of the, you know, you're touching on it. Like it's always men that have a problem in Star Wars fandom. Sorry, men that are listening. If you <laughs> don't like that, then don't listen. I'm sorry. It's just true. Like, I, I, I don't need to cater to you. There's plenty of shows that'll do that. Um, it is this idea of we are taught to not be, I say we, but cishet men uh, are taught especially white passing cis heterosexual men now i've now i've, I've laid it all now you've, now you've completely, all, you've all the things the that, all the things yeah that are, are taught no, don't, don't cry mm-hmm. don't show weakness all of those things and they attach themselves to these larger than life heroes and that's why last jedi luke works so well that's why uh all really all of the men in lord of the rings stand out in myth and pop culture because Lord of the Rings is full of sensitivity and men being open and crying with each other and kissing each other on the forehead and having mutual respect. And uh, Game of Thrones, for its faults, does have tons of sensitive men as well with- Both of my favorite characters are the sensitive men who end up dying because of their choices. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah. Rob Stark, who was like, no, but I'm in love. And then- I'm in love, man. And then Oberyn Martell, who's like my my sister. Yeah, exactly. And then to tie it in with Spider-Man, it's a comedic version of this, but the Peter B. Parker version of Peter in Spider-Verse is this broken down Spider-Man who did do it all. He did it all. And that's the whole joke at the beginning of the movie is that every Spider-Man adventure you know, he's narrating uh, with references to the comics and Raimi and all this stuff. But then he's crying in his shower. Mm-hmm. He's broke. <laughs> like, And that's uh, hard to watch. Pizza. Yeah. Yeah, and he's TGI Spidey's, his restaurant went out of business. Well, and I think it's like we immortalize these characters and we like hold them up to these standards. And I'm like, no, they're fictional characters. Like you can like, you can love a fictional character more than anything in this world. Like uh, I do. Like I, as you said, I have a bunch of Funkos behind me that are all my favorite characters. Like I have my wall of all my pictures. I have tattoos all over me of my favorite things. But there also comes a point where you have to realize that's like, it's a fictional character that other people are also in control of. So your specific idea of that character doesn't have to die if the show or the movie doesn't go the way you want. And I think that's the uh, one of the main problems, especially with Star Wars fandom, that fans are like, no, but the canon, I'm like, yeah, I was told that my favorite characters were now no longer part of Star Wars canon, mm-hmm. even though that is all I had for years. Yeah. Like the twin the twins were my favorite part of the EU and then they were like they don't exist anymore. Bye. How about uh, one tall boy instead? Yeah. <laughs> You're just, there's one instead of the three children that and they had. One of we'll name names. we'll name Hinben, even though that was Luke's son, who he yeah. had with your girl, Mara Jade. It feels like and a distant like, world. I mean like at the time of this recording, I just got in the uh, Essential Legends from Del Rey. They're doing 
mm-hmm. like uh, the major legends books and these new covers. And one of them is Shatterpoint. One of them is the first Darth Bane. And one of them is heir to the empire. And just looking at a new edition of heir to the empire was so surreal. Cause I was like, I mean, there've been other covers, but it was just weird to see them highlighted and sent to my house. It's like a new yeah. thing. Cause I was like, this feels like a different time in my life. Like when these stories yeah, were a thing. Well, because I mean, I was the person who held out hope until Rise of Skywalker. I was like, no, they're they're siblings. I will. They're going to be twins. <laughs> I was convinced. You were like, like that, that hand. That hand touch was. Ah, you hand yeah. touch with. I was like, they're touch? they're twins. Well, it's like I think a lot of people think I don't like Raylo because I'm like, no, I, I don't mind either way. I was just such a fan of the twins that I was like holding yeah. out that hope until the last second, and then they kissed, and I was like, okay, I guess that's a no. But uh, yeah, no, I think it's just, we all get very protective of the aspects we like of Star Wars. And we get very, uh, not aggressive, but it's just like, people project a lot and it's like, they're missing the nuances of Star Wars that make Star Wars, it's my big dumb space opera. And I love it so much because it is big and dumb. Mm-hmm. Like one of my favorite parts of Star Wars is when like, Dindadron's a great example. Like your the resourcefulness of these characters which is never really resourceful like when his gun stops working in the believer and so he just throws the gun at the guy like this is fine or when he's like has to scan his face and he's like i don't want you to see my face though and just like (laughs) stands there uses the scanner anyway yeah and then they're like we're gonna destruct in five seconds if you don't yeah. take off the mask. And then he's like, oh, well, shoot. They might as well um, cut back to Bill Burr. So Bill Burr could have been like, this fucking guy. Yeah, this like, fucking this- idiot. <laughs> well, but like, though, those are my favorite moments of Star Wars where it's just so dumb that you're like, this is great. Like Han Solo in A New Hope, when they're all, he's like, uh, everything's uh, fine here. Well, how are you doing? What's yeah. up? And he's just like trying to talk to the stormtroopers, and you're like, you're so stupid. Why are you talking to the stormtroopers? Just shut up and do what you're supposed to do. Yeah, and um, it's because it's heightened. Like people, yeah. people have it on the on, on funny levels and serious levels. People have Star Wars held to the standard of a hard science fiction, which it's not. Star mm-hmm. Trek is science fiction. Yeah, this is Babylon fantasy. Five is is start. You know, is is uh, star fleets, battles, science details. Like you said, this is sword and sorcery. It's fantasy. Yeah. A and B, people in comic book stuff and in opera, they don't act and talk like people do. You know, you, there's a little bit of that allowing people to have comedy where there wouldn't normally be comedy. To have, like, of course, if Star Wars was real, Leia, you know, would not be making a joke at 3PO and slapping Poe in the face and being witty Leia if her husband had just been murdered by her son. But it's opera. So we accept that people are acting in a heightened way. And I think that that ties in a little bit as well with criticisms of of things that are, I think, just atrociously dumb. Like uh, the whole still raging um, training stuff. You know, and you being the associate editor of the Mary Sue, uh, the 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 two words that ended up being the rallying cry of people that, for me, just don't understand. Uh, he's a Mary Sue. Well, then Luke story. is also a Mary Sue. He's he's a bigger one, and I would also argue, um, my whole my initial reaction back when that started, uh, kickstarted by somebody who, um, of course, is persona non grata and and deservedly so for his actions. 
Um, a literal predator started that. Uh, so let's just put that in the context. Um, but when you get down to the brass tacks, anybody in Star Wars can do anything after nine-year-old Anakin was more successful than adult pilots in the Phantom yeah. Menace. Well, and also, like, so the point of our site is like, it's like, okay, well, what's the problem with a Mary Sue? That men have done yeah. doing it for years. Like, what is the problem with a woman being just naturally good at something? Like, yeah. there's not a problem with it. It's, we're, it's all make-believe. Like, I think people forget it's make-believe. We made it up. But there, right. there are stories that we've made up. Um, but I think, especially with, like, it's the same conversation, like, what drove me crazy with Game of Thrones when people called Arya a Mary Sue, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, this girl not trained for, like, five seasons, and you're like, Mary Sue, I'm like, no, you're Literally, just that everybody complained that that was going on for too long, so it's like, don't tell me you didn't see. It's, yeah. their, their mindset is, I'm mad that this girl is supposed to be powerful, yeah. and what is so funny, especially with Star Wars, is like they'll they'll be mm, Ray, mm, women, women, women aren't powerful. Nah, nah, nah. I'm like, did you learn nothing from Star Wars? Because mm-hmm. from the start, the women have always been who are in charge in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like Han and Luke and Chewie, dead. If Leia hadn't been like, I'm gonna get us into this trash compactor, and we can figure out how to go from there, because otherwise we're just gonna die in this hallway. And yeah. like. The argument is she needed rescued. No, she didn't. She didn't ask to be rescued. She told Obi-Wan that he needed to come and get the information about the Death Star. Had nothing to do with rescuing her. They just were like, we have to rescue her. And she like very clearly didn't care. She was yeah. lounging on a bench when they rolled up and she was like, She okay. absolutely would have probably killed the next two troopers that showed up or, yeah. or escaped through, you know, she- Or she was accepting that she was like, I've done my mission. Like, I it was did like, my part, yeah. Yeah, and I just think, and it's the same little bit of an argument with, like, Jin. Like, granted, Jin was not my favorite character in Rogue One, but Jin Urso, they're like, oh, she's, she, why is she this? I'm like, first of all, she trained with Saw Gerrera for how many years? Then she, like, she wasn't on anyone's side. She didn't want to be in the fight. And then was only in the fight because of her father, and then chose to fight for the rebels and sacrifice herself in order to, like, finish what her father started. Right. And I think which is the most Star Wars thing you can do um, is be like, oh, my dad who's been gone my whole life, let me finish what he started. Like the Ben Solo story of like, oh, forget that my grandpa came to the light. I'm going to go finish what Darth Vader started. Yeah. I, I just think the, the Mary Sue conversations always infuriate me because I'm like, all right, I'll list 20 dudes that are also what, I don't know what the equivalent of a Mary Sue with a dude's name would be. It's some people John say Doe. some people say Gary Stu. Um, <laughs> I said John Doe, <laughs> but you're like they're dead. Um, but honestly, uh, yeah, like, and that's just something that I, I figured I'd bring up just because of the name of the publication. But it's yeah. it's something that I just have I push back on so vehemently because it just misunderstands. It mis- and first of all, it's just it's just sexism and misogyny. Like oh, it yeah. just flat out is. So like, let's make no bones about that. It is sexism, misogyny. We don't condone it. I won't have it on this show or any show that I do. So let's just get that out there on Front Street, just in case anybody was still listening. That is like, why are they saying this? You can leave. Um, but just <laughs> if you haven't left yet, yeah. If you haven't left yet, like let me make that cool. really clear. Um, also scroll down to the description where there's AAPI uh, fundraisers and uh, trans rights or human rights fundraisers. Uh, pay, and, uh, pay money. Yeah. Th- th- throw some cash out. 
Um, but yeah, there's this, um, this also this echo chamber of the internet has changed it in that way too, right? Where they get to encourage each other. Whereas if we go back, if we can go back to the weekend of 83 when Return of the Jedi came out, we would maybe have heard one guy in a hundred miles say like, oh, the leader of the rebellion's a woman? Because that was the first time we'd ever seen Mon Mothma. Mm -hmm. If that came out now with the internet, everybody would be like, this woman just comes out of nowhere and she's in charge. I thought that. I, I, yeah. I, I thought we that, just are, it's you know. ingrained in us at this point that we're like, like when I saw my Mothma in fucking Rogue One, I like flipped out. I was like, oh, that's my Mothma. Oh my God. And like got so excited. And it's because that's what it is. And Star Wars, it has ingrained that like these women are in power. Yeah. Um, which is why it baffles me that there are so many sexist men who like Star Wars. I'm like, what? Do you learn nothing? Like, what do you learn yeah, when you watch Star Wars? It's the power of memory. Like I was saying earlier, like uh, with Empire Strikes Back, which is arguably, and I think it's safe to say, the most sensitive and and romantic and sort of just like melodramatic of them. I mean, the I'm nice men and everything. Like in the club, like it's just so like oh, so overblown. Speaking and of so memory, cool. the amount of people. Again, I'm so sorry to the men. I'm a straight woman, and I'm just attacking you today. Uh, the, the Speaking of memory, the amount of men who misquote that drives me insane. Mm -hmm. Because this, the quote is, I'm nice men. It yeah. rules. And it also shows that he is not suave. He said, I'm idiot. nice men. I'm nice men. Yeah, he's talking like a caveman. Like, <laughs> I'm nice men. He's not saying, I'm a nice man. Like, he's not no. that good. Like, he's just repeating back what he just heard. Yeah, so, yeah. And yeah, he doesn't exactly. have that moment that most of us would have where we'd be like, no, sorry, wait, I meant I'm a, I'm a nice man. I just, like, it's what exactly. I heard. He just is like, I'm going to go with it. I'm nice <laughs> I said, yeah. I'm nice man. And, and so, that, like, that movie gets remembered, though, as being the dark and, and serious Star Wars movie. I'm like, it has some serious stuff in it, like they all do. But, you know, it's nowhere near as dark as Rogue One, Revenge of the no. Sith. Um Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker, I think, are both darker than Empire for various reasons. Like they, it, it gets remembered that way, and I, and it makes me think of a quote that I think I mentioned here on the show before, which is again about delivering new material for something that's been around for so long. Uh, I'm a huge, huge, huge uh, Kiss fan, and when they were gone, or when they were makeupless, you know, the old version of Kiss was gone for a while in the '80s and '90s. Um, people really wanted them to get the original lineup back together and put on the white and black makeup again and do their whole bit. And when they came back in 1996, the whole idea was not just to deliver that show that they were doing back in the 70s and 80s. You have to go bigger. And Paul Stanley explained it as people aren't coming to see the Kiss show that they saw when they were a kid. They're coming to see the Kiss show that they remember seeing when they were a kid. And that's a problem that all of these franchises have in terms of nostalgia and everything. And it'll be interesting to see what a Patty Jenkins Star Wars movie looks like, what a Taika movie looks like, Ryan Johnson, everyone else that's going to get projects. I can't wait for like Leslie Headland on The Acolyte and things like that. I'm so That's my excited. friend. I'm so excited. Oh, you know Leslie? Yeah. She's oh, my she mentor. She like, uh, I used to do her monologues in college. Oh, that's um, so cool. And I love her plays. And so... I think we became friends because of Chris Pine. Like on Twitter, I was making some Chris Pine joke and my, someone tagged her. Um, and then we just slowly became friends. But yeah, like, yes. I'm so excited about all those people yeah. because I think I, I say this and it comes from a place of not 
hating because I'm a I, I like JJ Abrams properties. I'm a little burnt out because I feel like he loves to fridge a woman and her stuff. So I don't particularly love it. because uh, him and his son fridged Mary Jane in a comic. Yeah, I never read I, that, but I heard about that. That was Yeah. Weird. Uh it made me really mad. Uh didn't need to happen. I feel like that Leia storyline felt very like I know they were trapped, but also like it felt like they fridged Leia. <laughs> like I was like, there are so many other ways you could have written her off that was not her sacrificing herself for her son uh because that gave me flashbacks to dying of a broken heart which i was like please um but like what i think works now with star wars is that kathleen kennedy i think thought she found like the creator she needed in jj abrams but realized that the people who understand how star wars works from a fan perspective and a creative perspective is john favreau and dave filoni um, and then all of the people that they have started to like work with, which is Taika Waititi and Deborah Chow and like all of these different yeah. creatives also understand how Star Wars works from both a fan and creative perspective. Um, Patty's already proven that she knows how to do that with the, uh, with 2017's Wonder Woman. Um, and I think all of these people that they have lined up are going to do really good. And I know Leslie does as well. And so it's like, I, you know, yeah. all of these people are going to be really good about telling a story but coming from a place of like I love this franchise and I understand it because yeah. I think the sequel trilogy the anger that all was around it was only like fueled even more when people realized that oh you guys didn't plan anything you guys didn't do and then it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and now I think with these Disney plus shows and then the movies that are in their own separate thing it's we're not dealing with those characters with yeah. the exception of Obi-Wan but it's Hugh and McGregor's, which is already a separate thing from the Obi Wan we already knew. And Obi Wan gets the Obi Wan has the advantage of being a great connecting, like main dish, yeah. where it's like it's the prequel actor with a Mandalorian filmmaker on a new streaming service in an original trilogy setting. Like it gets to be this, and this you get Darth Vader coming back, like it's Vader, like, but played by Hayden. So it's 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 yeah. this great like everybody gets marriage between it. Yeah, yeah 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 um and so, so it like, feels like yeah what you're i mean just to build off what you're saying like i i agree and i think that you know independently of like jj creative choices i think that what he's great at and i've said this on every show i've been on i feel like jj is an amazing starter and he's an amazing producer and he's an amazing um guy to have in the room mm-hmm. like he i think how to finish it though yeah, or if he, if he does at all, you know, because like loss, he gets shit for loss, but he wasn't even there for most of it. He just produced uh, it. But he, JJ is the guy that can step back from the painting and look at it and say, okay, why does this work? You know, and that's why he's, well, that's why Force Awakens, like the most thankless task in movie history of, re, of bringing Star Wars back. I think that that's why that hit because he's able to create Ray Finn, Poe, Kylo, BB-8, and have everybody say like, well, this feels like Star Wars again. But then the problem is that Star Wars is kind of like the Ouroboros, you know, it's eating its own tail and mm-hmm. it becomes like, and then Ryan Johnson says, okay, but what about it? And then he flips it and that makes people more mad. So now you've got the guy that gave you what you missed, the guy that challenged what you missed and neither could make everybody happy. So I think that the next st- step, and I, again, I love that trilogy. But I think the next step that is very healthy and smart is what you're saying is 
now it's okay it's back we had the it's back tour of mm-hmm. a trilogy rogue one which is a supplement to new hope and then solo which is a supplement to that entire middle that character yeah and that character now it's all right we did the five years of it's back now it's let's do a couple you know cycles of what's next you know taika what's star wars from your point of view deborah what's star wars from your point of view it just sort of expands out and so i think that again like you said like having john and dave there john and dave are a good team because john is there very much so like jj to do like the remember this remember this not in a bad way but you know that's his whole thing he wanted to make boba that's no secret you know din only exists because he couldn't make boba um but the idea of being able to say this works this doesn't work um in terms of original trilogy and then dave is there to say and let's add some flavor from here and let's add some flavor from here because this is all the stuff that star wars can also be it can be weird like I think that if you had left John alone to make Mandalorian, you don't get things like, I mean, you certainly don't get certain characters like Bo-Katan, but you don't get things like Frog Lady and weird things like that, you know, because that's such a prequels thing to do or like a Clone Wars thing to do of, here's this frog woman that doesn't speak. What's her name? Frog Frog Lady. Lady. And she has a karaoke machine that she uses when she needs to speak. What's in her backpack? unfertilized eggs. eggs like that's the kind of thing where it's like okay so that's why i think like we're definitely in a it's a long way of saying that i think we're a, a brushing up on a really really fresh and golden age and i think you needed the sequels rogue one and solo to be that sort of bridge because there always needs to be familiar yeah. i mean why do we love grogu aesthetically because he's a thing we know and we made him precious yeah, he looks Yoda, like Yoda, and he's he said, small. What if small, but then he's like, but he's fifty. <laughs> that was like one of my favorite things. My my friend is not a Star Wars fan, fan uh, never watched them, but she like knew about Baby Yoda. And goes, yeah, he's a baby, but he's fifty. <laughs> like she was just like, he's fifty, leave him alone. And it was just that stupidity is what i like about star wars so i yeah. love this little new era i mean i remember people going into work the next day after the first episode um or the next week and having people that i'd never really talked to at the radio station from like other stations from like the latin station and stuff like guys being like hey come here so is that like yoda's kid or is it like Yoda? <laughs> like the, you, everybody had these questions because it's something that was just in the culture if they did a baby chewy show or comic it would have that because people have that interest in the things Mm -hmm. that are like oh oh i know that like everybody wants to feel included and so and i think that that's why it's really smart with what like marvel's doing like you're going to get the hawkeye show this year has the hawkeye that you know from all the avengers movies but it's going to also pass the torch over to Haley, and it's going to you know same with black widow and passing the torch over to florence Pugh, and so like all these different things which i'm super excited about um so I guess as we're starting to, to wrap up and wind down here, because we've been going a while. And again, thanks for your time. Um, of course. We're super, we're both super busy people. Oh, really. busy. Um, in terms of all of that, what speaks to you the most in terms of like what you're looking forward to? Or if it's more fun for you or if it, your brain starts to go this way instead, what do you hope to see? Even if it's not something that's been announced is there something that we got a little taste of that you're like, oh, yes, more of that, please? 
Well, other than me being cast as Mara Jade, um, it's a campaign. Uh, it's a yeah, full it's campaign. campaign. I want to be Mara Jade. Um, no, uh, I really do. Okay, so I grew up, as I said, with a brother who, but he remembered Boba Fett being awesome because of the Christmas special, which mm-hmm. I had never seen until probably like six or seven years ago because you couldn't watch it. Um, and so he would forever be like, Boba Fett rules, Boba Fett rules, Boba Fett rules. I'm like, shut up. I was the same way. I never liked Boba Fett. Fett Yeah, I was like, Boba Fett sucks. He fell in a sword pit and died. Why do you think he's cool? And then I was like, and even when he shows up in the prequels, I was like, Jango Fett's cooler than Boba Fett. Like, I just never cared about Boba Fett. Um, And so then when The Mandalorian was coming out and they just announced it, they didn't say anything about it. And I don't even think, when they announced it, I don't even think Pedro was attached. No, Um, he wasn't. uh, I was like, is this show about boba fett like i don't want to and i was just like already not now you would laugh if you heard me talking about this show however many years ago um but like i was like oh i don't want to watch a show about boba fett but it's star wars so i guess i'll watch it and so then fell in love with the mandalorian ginger jarring is my husband love the whole universe love uh mr i don't care about the jedi i want to get my kid to school um and kept this hearing the rumors jedi to you he, he's, a, he's the best he has this look jedi it's a rock and he's trying what? to turn it on um uh, and then he looks at luke skywalker and goes are you a jedi like i don't fucking know what you guys do looks like did um, you just did you just i see just that killed like, I just a little laser sword he goes i don't know I've, i have one too now i guess i don't fucking know what i'm doing um but i like so when boba fett came to that show at first mm. i was like I love Tamora Morrison. So I was like, all right, you got me a little bit intrigued because I love Tamora. Sure. Then they fucking made Boba Fett cool as shit. And I was like, God damn it, now I'm excited about this show. Mm-hmm. And then putting Finnick in there because I mm-hmm. love Ming-Na Wen, mm-hmm. I was just like, great. I'm so excited about the book of Boba Fett that I don't understand how to function as a person anymore. It's I'm weird. just like, yeah. I, I need Christmas, but I also am like, I wish they would have planned it so it went Book of Boba Fett straight into The Mandalorian because that's all I want. Even though there were like rumors that like Din's going to be on Book of Boba Fett and stuff. Fine. Yeah. Great. Uh, I want to see my king, my himbo king on his own show. I don't need him on Book of Boba Fett. But I just like, I, uh, I can't express how shocking it is to me that I am so excited about a show about, that has a character I truly didn't give a shit about. I was the same way. Like I I got no problem with Boba Fett fans. I mean, of course the amazing and wonderful Tori Fox, um, who's got the mandatory and creed, like that's her boy. It's been her boy, her entire life has loved Boba Fett since she was a little, little girl. And that's amazing. Um, But he was never my, I am on record either in tweet or maybe even on audio. I'm not sure where I said this, but I know I said it publicly because I was trying to start something. I, I said, the only way I want Boba, this was during season one of Mando. They said, the only way I want Boba Fett to show up in this show is if Din Djarin kills him on sight. Just to it's, see well, Boba Fett. It family. used to be the like Keanu Reeves meme. It's not, a, it's not Keanu Reeves. It's the thing from Cyberpunk or whatever it is. Yeah. Where it's like, I'm not reading all that. I'm happy for you or I'm sorry that that happened. That was like yeah. me whenever people would talk about both. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm either happy, like whatever it is. Great. Good for you. So happy. So it was like, I thought that was just all the Mandalorians for the longest time. I was like, yeah. 
I don't want to deal with this. And then, like, you learn about the Mandalorians and, like, Clone Wars and stuff, and you're like, oh, so they're cool. They're got, it. got it, got it, got it, got it, got yeah. it. They're really cool. I understand now. Like, they're fascinating. They're awesome. Oops. Yeah. That's, so that's sorry. A really, that's a really great answer. I think we're in for something special there. I'm ex- really excited for it. Again, having Rodriguez in there, I mean, he's another one of those Ugh. creators where it's like he's got that that well, independent spirit but also that yeah. latino element that comes in that that obviously his whole career has been very grindhouse do it his way make it visceral and, and then or make a, a fucking badass movie with danny trejo like machete from a children's from movie. a spy kids in joke yeah well i um i know we're wrapping up but like what was funny was rodriguez's episode I was, I was doing press for We Can Be Heroes because I'm a big Spy Kids fan and obviously mm. I love Pedro Pascal. So I was like, yes, I want to do any and all press for this movie. And I interviewed Robert Rodriguez mm. the like weekend after that episode came out. Oh, and wow. so like I did my whole interview and at the very end I was like, I know we can't talk about it, but also like that was the one of the greatest episodes of like television ever. <laughs> it was like yelling at him so in good. like two minutes left of this interview because so I was just like, it's it's going to be so good because that episode was really the episode that I was like, Oh no, Boba Fett's a bad ass. Like not like, I was like, yeah, we saw like little glimpses of him before then on the show, but I was just like, no, he's cool as shit. Like he took out like 12 dudes with like a staff. He was like (laughs) on fire. And then like, also like really soulful, like just like the way that he carried himself of like, it belonged to my father, Django, and like all of his sort of like gravitas. You're like, this man is so just like he has so many stories. Like, yeah, like, like I'll listen to you talk. Well, also I would do that for Tamora Morrison. Like, oh yeah, the day we're recording this is when he told everyone the book both at wrapped by being in a spa in New Zealand, just like, just like chilling in, in a hot tub in his <laughs> yeah. hometown, just the greatest. He's like, I'm in my hometown. I wrapped. We had fight scenes. It ruled, and you're like okay great i haven't stopped thinking about that all day i'm like yeah it's more wars in a hot tub as effective as any trailer is just watching this man <laughs> live his best life i was and like so excited about this show now tomorrow morrison was that's another awesome. thing is that tomorrow's in his 60s and ming na is in her 50s and like att- attaching like a new action adventure streaming show to two the, older yeah. a- a performers is like really cool to see like well, and coming from a show yeah and coming from a show where the main actor is 46. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like everyone in these are in their 40s. They're like, they're, they are Harrison Ford throughout all of Star Wars. And maybe that's why I love it. Because yeah. he was also like, I'm too old for this shit, but I'm doing it. Absolutely. And, and speaking of them, man, you don't have to rush answers, by the way. Don't worry about rapping. I got as much time as you have. <laughs> um, with Pedro, which we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about him. And, and also with uh, Padro Pascal. Um, which remains one of the greatest puns ever. Um, Don't give my friends that. It was my friends who made me change it. I supported the change. Didn't you do a Twitter poll? I totally voted for it. Yes, because it was... So my friends, Taylor and Philip, yes. we were all talking about my podcast, and they yes. both were like, why isn't it Padro Pascal? And I was just like, so you hate puns. And so, and I have a, I have a Harrison Ford podcast called The Fordcast, also a pun, even though I came up with it and I hate puns. So um, I was like, oh, it is a good title though. So I like made the poll. And of course those two were like, 
LOL, you should do it because they came up with it. And so yeah. I changed, we rebranded because Katrina was like, no, that's a great title. I was like, shut up. I, I, I got to say, I agree. I like the, I like the forecast too. I never thought of that. That's a good one. I, there's a, a Harrison Ford series going on right now of, uh, through the movie guys with Paul Preston and Adam Witt. Shout out to them. And it's called the Ford Fiesta, like the car. And I just love that. Uh, but yeah, so. Sorry, Pedro. No, it's okay. Uh, so, so just in terms of, and we'll be getting into this even more on an upcoming episode of Pedro Pascal. Um, actually, when this episode comes out, that episode might be out because time is weird. Anyway, just look for it. <laughs> um, the, the fandom that you have for him, Mm-hmm. as a performer what do you think it is about him um from either from your acting background or from your writing background like what does he bring into the star wars equation um as well as just unabashed hotness that you <laughs> that, that resonates with you you know you made the harrison connection is it sort of just like that movie star sort of aura or is it something else for me, very specifically, it is the way that the Mandalorian walks that is how Pedro Pascal walks. Uh, mm. I'm obsessed with it. Because if you look at how Oberyn walked in the scene mm. um, and how the Mandalorian walks, it's the exact same. Um, and so it was, I was, those stuntmen who played him either intentionally did it or someone was like, oh, well, he walked, like, if he's in the suit, he's going to walk, like, whatever it was. Yeah. It's just like, it is so, like, even when, like, because I was convinced until, like, I suspended disbelief, even though I knew it probably wasn't him in the suit, especially because I saw him on Broadway when they were filming. But uh, I was like, yeah, he's in the suit. Yeah, I saw King Lear. Um, But uh, it was just like, it's the way that, like, you know it's him uh, that just makes Din, for me, really hit. And especially because, like, Din DeJoin is such an interesting character because he went, he's a badass. No matter what, he'll take you out. Like, that final episode where he kicks the best car spear Oof. and like flips it is one of my favorite fights ever. It's so, so truly so fucking good. Um, I love it so much. I love that kick. I'm just like, yes, check him out. Even though he stopped fighting because he realized what could happen. Great. Loved that fight for what it was while it was happening. Um, uh, but watching that badass fall in love with this green child and like carry him in a satchel just like I loved it so much and I think a big part of that comes because I know how Pedro Pascal is like (laughs) the internet's adoptive dad of like all of in every movie and now I guess for the last of us he's a single dad in everything um and so I like it a lot and I think that bleeds into my love of Din Djarin because I know the gravitas that he brings to his other roles. So even when you're not seeing his face, you still know. And like in the voice acting, it's the same thing with like Vin Diesel doing Groot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wouldn't, you would, however many years ago, would do you think you'd be crying over a tree going, we are Groot? No, but yet we did oh, because did. you're like, oh my God, the way he said, like, and it's the same kind of deal. Like, I know Pedro Pascal calls it his bedroom voice, but, like, the way that Din, like, it's terrifying, but also then he has these very nice moments where it's still the same modulated voice, but it's just, like, you can tell that his inflection changes. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the more fascinating performances that I've seen. Because I know CGI performances, you still are using your face. Yeah. But this one really is doing 
a lot with a little. I mean, you went to Guardians, yeah. Vin as Groot and Bradley Cooper too with Rocket. I mean, those are, because Bradley's not actually there. It's Sean Gunn. So yeah. Bradley's really matching a lot of the onset performance. So it's, he has, again, has to do a lot with a little. You get a little bit of Bradley's face, I think, for Guardians too, but Rocket having that scene in the bar in Guardians 1 of like, I didn't ask to get made. Like, yeah. The, what voice That's my other favorite Marvel. Oh, I love I love Rocket Raccoon. He's the best. Um, the best. And with Din, I mean, one of the uh, moments that sticks out for me so much, I mean, you're talking about just that vocal performance. Obviously, in season two, we know he was there much more um, than in one. But in from one to two, there's this beautiful just sort of arc of of, of again, like, sensitivity coming to the forefront you know when in, in chapter three when he tells the armor um you know my armor has lost its integrity i need to begin again like what that actually means symbolically of him becoming the new man and all this stuff he goes from i can bring you in warm or i can bring you in cold and then by the time you get to like the jedi he's talking to ahsoka and there's this pause that i swear you it's like the most small thing, but it's so emotionally big that I was like, you could drive a fucking truck through that pause and, mm-hmm. and just and just hand him the Emmy for for vocal performance or, or whatever category he'd get into. Because well, now he would probably be, now he'd probably get actually into lead right? there. Yeah, yeah. So he's got this moment where she says, because she hasn't gone back on what she on the agreement yet of not taking Grogu, and he just says, "I'll go get him." And and that pause, I was like, that's when that man became a father. It was like oh, yeah. in that moment of that sort of hesitance of like, you realize what you must do. That's just Pedro in a booth or maybe being there, but still he'd have to re-record it in the booth. holding that pillow. Holding the pillow. <laughs> like, which is one of the best things I've ever seen. I want a Black Series figure of that. Yeah, uh, it's Joe Pascal with a pillow in his hand. It's, Wait. That's going to be my Star Celebration cosplay, everybody. I'm going to be headphones on with a pillow <laughs> doing this. Wait. Uh, uh, but he, yeah. Well, it, I'll be a different Pedro Pascal's recording The Mandalorian. Uh, that's a great so I'll, I'll get a Fleetwood Mac shirt and the helmet, and I'll just be when they're listening to the theme oh, song. Yeah. And he's like, uh. That's a great one. I'd also love to get a dinjar and armor but not by a helmet and just have the sock on my head just the black socks <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but i think that's that's why i think he's one of our best actors for just like the way he does like he he's very nuanced in his approach mm-hmm. what i'm i'm meisner trained i don't know what tish is i feel like tish is similar but um because that's where i went to school mm-hmm. but um like javier pena is one of my favorite characters oh, yeah. his like hands down and it's because Javier Pena is you think one way um and then you see these little moments where he breaks like uh in season two when uh he watches uh, a kid get killed and like his reaction to it is something that you're like whoa I never thought Javier Pena would react that way or like when one of his informants is getting attacked it's like those little things are much the same things I like about the Jarn where it's like you think he's one way and he's the opposite like that last scene where he's like, I'll find you. I'm like, you know, he will, yeah. he will move heaven and her earth to go find that kid again. Um, even though he's like, I don't know where you're going. I don't know when, but I, I'll come. And I, it is just, uh, and it's, I think a lot of that is him. It's it, yes. It's in the writing of these characters and yes, it exists in the script, but mm-hmm. I think 
he brings that to the performances. Like I can't, mm-hmm. I'm so excited to watch him as Joel Miller because Joel yeah. has very much that energy of like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to be here. I'm reluctant about this, but then he would do anything for Ellie. And so I'm really excited uh, to see that energy, which is, they're all different, but they're also why we all like oh, Pedro sure. Pascal. For sure. And, and I think a lot of that too, just in Star Wars in general, I would say, especially modern Star Wars. I mean, again, we've been blessed throughout all of Star Wars. I mean, original and prequel trilogy. Um, the prequel trilogy, you've got actors punching way above the scripts. You know, George is the first person to tell you he doesn't like to write scripts. Um, but you've got Ewan McGregor and Ian McDermott and Natalie, uh, Natalie I was going to say Natalie Dormer. Put her into Star Wars. Uh, Natalie Portman, um, just all doing amazing things. Uh, and but I would say, you know, this this crop from Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Adam Driver, Felicity Jones, Alden Ehrenreich, Pedro Pascal, everybody that's been Diego, in Star Wars since yeah. Disney, Diego, everybody that has been in it um, since it started, again, in 2015, even 2014 with Star Wars Rebels, um, they have all just been just killer performances where everybody's allowed to bring something to it, which... Uh, nicely segues into i think will be the last question and i said we would dive more into chewbacca uh he has eternal life of course because star wars can go to any era and period and he's a character that is as long lived as the story needs him to be um at at last check he's 250 i think in rise of skywalker is what they say at the beginning when they're playing dejaric with him which i think is a a lovely little scene and where he you know poe and finn can't beat him in a game and I think that Jonas Suatomo has brought such great life to it and carries on Peter's legacy in such a strong and powerful way. I've always thought it was super classy that Jonas will never say what in Force Awakens is him and what in Force Awakens is Peter, just keeping the character at the forefront and Peter's contributions. Um, I think that his performance in Solo and his performance in Rise of Skywalker really showed that like, He's here to stay. I, I, I said, mentioned this to you on Twitter. I hope Chewie shows up at some point in Mandalorian. That's all I want. I, I would I would lose my mind. I mean, he's Just, out there. He's yeah. out there doing stuff. Like, with Han. With Han. So I am curious what you want or would like to see for the future of that character in Star Wars or the past of that character. So you can go wherever you want. So uh, in Solo, I thought we got Malia and I was really excited about it, but then mm. they never said her name. So I'm going to pretend that that's the truth. Yeah. Um, I would love to see like an actual thing of with his family that is not, you know, a nice canon story that is not ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. but and also not like all in, in <laughs> like in, like with no subtitles. We have no idea what's going on. Yeah, none of it makes any sense. Like uh, because what works with Chewie so well is like I like that it was. It's never subtitled. It's never other than that moment in Solo when they realize. Because Han and Chewie's relationship, what I love so much about it, it, well, I think actually the Wookiees are subtitled in the prequels, if I remember correctly, but. Yeah, I think it, I think it just depends on who, like when Yoda talks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Han's Shriwook is like where he's saying, yeah, I speak a little. Yes. Like all that. But one of my, that, I loved that in Solo because it establishes like, I speak Shriwook, you speak, you understand English. Like we understand each other enough that we can go, we can do this and yeah. we, that's all we need. We'll figure the and rest it, out later. Yeah. And it's so, I love it so much. Cause it's not like, it's not like Han translating Chewie 
or Chewie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, you know what Chewie meant based on what Han says. And like, that's why that dynamic is one of my favorites in Star Wars, because it's just like, it's, it's a friendship. I'm sure that there are times where like, I'm talking to my best friends and whoever's listening is like, I have no idea what these two are talking about. Yeah. And it's because it's like, well, we know what we're talking about. You don't need to know. And that's those two. Like, <laughs> Chewie says something, Han responds. So I want more of, if I could get more of that dynamic, I would. I want old Narenreich back. I think he did a great job with Han because he understood. Love him. He understood Han. Um, but if it was just Chewie, like, I do want him on these Disney Plus. I don't know. I don't know how a show that is just Huey. Huey. Now I'm combining them. Huey, just Dewey, Chewie. And Chewie. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how a show that is just Chewy would work. Yeah. Just because I don't want some weird thing where it's like, oh, he's speaking, he's speaking English, but you know that he's not. And it's like, no, I don't want that. Yeah. We don't uh, need that meta level. You would almost need, I mean, that's what was cool about the comic that he had is that you had that, that young, that young child character. I forget their name. I, I haven't read that in so long, but you, Chewy needs that reactive. Me, it's the same as yeah. BB-8 and Poe where it's like, we know that BB-8 says, I have a bad feeling about this because of Poe saying happy beeps. Like, yeah. you, you need a reactionary player. Yeah, and so it's like, if he was on Mando, I would lose my mind um, because that would be Dinja Jordan. And I would yeah. be like, great, this is me. I made this. John Favreau, thank you for coming into my brain and picking this moment out. But um, yeah, I, I, I just want him in things. I, I hated that we got that little taste in the prequels and that was it. We got him for like two minutes. Yeah. And uh, it's like, there's Chewie, bye. Um, I was like, no, 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 I want more. I want you, I want everything and anything you can give me of Chewbacca. Because yeah. he, like you said, he's the character. Like, I was so upset in Rise of Skywalker when I thought he died. Like, I truly was about to walk out of the theater. Because I was like, you, I understand killing the original trilogy. I was, like, the original I was trio. like, really... <laughs> I, when, when it happened, I just I saw it at a press screening, which is always weird, as you know. Yeah. Press screenings are kind of terrible for. Yeah, I, I saw F nine yesterday, and it was weird because they there's no didn't energy in the room. There's no energy react. in the room, in, in the room at all. You maybe will get an occasional like, huh, like, but you never yeah. get any sort of moment. I saw Endgame with nothing but critics. That was weird. Um, See that movie? I didn't. I saw it with critics, but me and my me and my boss are huge Marvel nerds, so we just hmm. didn't care. Like we were yeah. just reacting. Like, I was sitting care. there with coffee in the theater, like yeah, like woo. <laughs> um, but yeah, so when, when I saw it, I was I was like, oh no, now because I, I saw it like four days before the premiere. I was like, I'm gonna have to wait and not tell anybody about this chewy death fake out. And then when I saw it in the theater with the person uh, and other people, I was like looking around like. Okay, they believe it. Like, they, they believe it. Well, like, I would have believed it more if they just switched the like funeral scene. Oh, that the editing makes me so mad because it makes more sense to show that funeral scene where they're all sad about Chewie, and then show you that Chewie's not dead. Yeah. And instead, it's the other way around. I'm like, so this scene's stupid now. Because then you're <laughs> like, like you're like, stop crying. Yeah, crying. like, I'm like if you would have switched it, I'd be like, same guy, like, Chewy. And then I would have been so mad that he was I fine was, and I got I was out, like, the but... balls on them if, the, if he's actually dead. I was well, like... and that was my thing was I was like, if you kill Chewy, like, I understand killing those actors because, yeah. well, Carrie died and Harrison yeah, Ford Harrison's has never, never wanted to really do it. Yeah. And Mark Hamill would stay, but also, like, he's like, it's everyone else's story now. But, oh, I was furious. But luckily, Chewy is fine. 
So that's the thing I is that take... I was sitting there like you can like I thought that the droids and Chewie are untouchable because they can be used as much as you want forever. Yeah. You know, if Rogue Squadron is 30 years after the sequels and Patty Jenkins wants to have a Chewie cameo, you just throw some gray hair on the guy and send him in. He'll be like, uh, hi, I'm a silver fox now. Mm, Chewbacca. Uh, But yeah, I I just want more Chewie. I think Chewie has been my favorite for so long that uh, at this point, like I met Chewie in Disney and like cried as if it was... (laughs) like I just was like crying and my brother well, it was funny because like <laughs> we met Kylo Ren this was before Galaxy's Edge opened and I was afraid and my brother's like it's a man in a suit Rachel <laughs> but I like freaked like I had such a little kid reaction to it um and like with Chewie like I just was like oh my god hugging Chewbacca like I like I forgot that for a moment it was a man in a suit I was That's just like no, this is a character characters. I love yeah it's, it's extremely powerful you get invested in them I mean I credit um, Joseph Scrimshaw from Force Center, who's been on the show before. He's one of my favorite guys. And he has pointed out, and I, I love in Star Wars these these arcs that are happening that are not part of the A story. They're not even part of the B and C story. They're just there. If you, if you love Star Wars, you can put them together in your mind and they're really beautiful. Chewie has an arc from A New Hope all the way to Rise of Skywalker that is not at the forefront when he gets his medal well it's not even the medal it's way nerdier than that i mean yes i love the medal moment and yes we know he got it in the comics but he gave it away in the comics so this was him finally getting his moment and not making it about someone else so and also it was han's medal so stop yelling about it um but it let him have it yeah people always like well that was just for nostalgia i'm like it was han's medal like that's that's his dog that's like when they hand you your dog's collar back (sighs) Wow, that was one of the saddest things I've ever heard in my life. But what Joseph described was this. When we first meet Han and Chewie, everybody gets on the Falcon. And what's one of the first things that happens with Chewbacca? He plays Dejaric with C-3PO. And C-3PO can beat him. And Han says to let the Wookiee win. It's one of the most famous moments ever, obviously. Then a couple more times, like in Solo, which is obviously pre-New Hope, so that adds, that's the middle point of the arc, is Chewbacca's okay at it. And the first, and Solo, when he's first playing on it, he sucks. Terrible. And Beckett is like, you don't want to make that move. You don't want to make that move. Chewie gets so mad that he breaks the table, and that's why there's missing figures on it. By the time he's playing Finn and Poe, you can't can't beat him. You can't beat him. And so it's this nice little thing that like, if you are just paying attention, you've seen movies a bunch of times, like you realize that accidental or not that, you know, Ron Howard and JJ and George Lucas, they all created this thing of Chewie gradually becoming a master at this game. I love it so much. I just want, like, that's what sucks is like, we have those moments, but I'm like, okay, but what if we had more Chewie? Oh yeah. gave Chewie all of the things like oh i firmly believe that like i think he's with ray i think he's with ray to the end of the line that's his now that's his now fourth puppy yeah like if oh yeah he's with ray hands down i mean he might be like can i go home for a hot minute and see my kid but like yeah no he's with ray now um i wouldn't be surprised though if we maybe maybe we could see him in kenobi because he knows yoda so maybe yoda's like go check on the kid and like Chewie's there would yeah. cry, but yeah. I just, it would be fun at some point to explore either there or somewhere else a conversation, you know, either between Han and Chewie after the originals or something 
of Han just being like, how come you never told me that you like knew all that stuff was real? You know, like, why did you let me believe it was all bullshit mumbo jumbo? Because it's, it's like a kid. You're like, Chewie just okay, being like, you can believe, you, you can, gotta figure you it out what someone. you want. Yeah, you can <laughs> believe what you want. It's okay. Yeah. Oh, well, this has uh, been so much fun. This has been a great conversation. We've gone all over the place. We've delved into <laughs> the inner workings of fandom and, and, and male frustration and <laughs> Chewbacca and the Mandalorian and all these things. And there's a million more things we could dive into, uh, including tons of of connections with you know your acting background and i've done uh, an acting episode before on the show but i definitely want to do more you know people picking out their favorite performances in star wars and things like that so we'll have to do some of that and uh coming up we're going to be doing some like bad batch like halfway through the season or like season predictions or whatever so i'd love to have you back on for anything basically anything you want to do for sure this is very fun i'm glad you had fun i love talking about star wars yeah me too honestly me too um, so let everybody know where you can find you. Of course, uh, we mentioned the places already, but if you want to expand on them, tease articles or pieces, sure, sure, let sure, people sure. know what's going on. Um, you can follow my writing at the Mary Sue. Uh, uh, I write a whole bunch of different things and uh, it just depends on what's happening in the world that day. You can follow me on Twitter at Rachel Leishman. You can follow me on Instagram at Rachel underscore Leishman. Um, and you can follow Padro Pascal, which Alden's going to be on for, uh, we're going to talk about the Kingsman Golden Circle, the reason I have my job at the Mary Sue. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you can follow that at Padro Pascal everywhere. And yeah, that's, that's me. And you, you, if you follow me, you'll see, you'll see my cat. His name is Ben. Yeah. It's a cat <laughs> named around. Ben, a, a respectful amount of thirst, nothing weird. Yeah, um, I just yeah. thirst. Well, now I gotta be chill. Yeah, that's true. You do you have to chill, chill out a little bit. <laughs> chill out a little bit. I tell you, you know, it's a very, very valuable follow. You cannot be losing that. Um, yeah, uh, definitely, definitely a great follow. And again, we we go back to to WandaVision, which feels like it was two seconds ago, but also years ago at the same time. Because that's because well, you and I is. always send each other. I send you Dua Lipa, and you send me Metro Pascal things, and we're just like. Just love so, so it's like we've been friends for forever and then it's like oh that was january yeah january completely completely weird my perception of time is completely warped but in that time uh you've been one of my favorite people to talk to and, and to read their work okay. and, to, and to follow in the space you're doing great things and we'd love to have you back on as we'd soon as love possible to come back on. or set you up with tori or do something on her show as well so i love tori too i would love to she's the bomb uh, speaking of, uh, for people that are listening, of course, you can find this show and the Mandatory and Create on all your podcast platforms, A-H-C-H-T-O Radio, Octo Radio, you know the planet, it's the one with the green titty milk. Um, as for uh, as for me personally, uh, socials-wise, you can find me at AD underscore Strider on Twitter, uh, which is a Lord of the Rings reference. It's not a Lord of the Rings podcast, but I'm thinking about doing something there at some point. Um, on Instagram, A, a period, D period Strider. Facebook, if you're still on Facebook, to talk to your uncle, your aunt, I don't know. Um, and then, yeah, just uh, all that good stuff. New projects coming up on the One and Done Film Club, my other podcast with Nikki Kumar and Reed Devaney. Of course, uh, check out Tori's uh, Droid series here on the podcast feed. And yeah, and all of Rachel's links will be down in the description. And I just realized it's the perfect person to have on for the way that I always close these episodes. Punch it, Chewie. <laughs>